You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. For a parent of multiple children, there is no better sound than when all of your kids are actually getting along. In big households like mine, there are times when not everyone sees eye to eye, when siblings at different ages have different interests and tensions bubble. So how do you get the magic back in the household? This is How to Build a Human, Mamma Mia's podcast that's an operating guide for preschoolers. I'm Lee Campbell, an executive editor here at Mamma Mia, and I'm Alexander's mum. I can't relate to him having siblings except for his imaginary friend. (laughs) And I'm Jen Muir. I'm a parent educator, an obstetric social worker, and a mum of four boys. Maggie Dent says that all kids are either roosters or lambs. I know that I have two roosters and two lambs, and let's just say that my roosters can really ruffle everybody else up. Well, now I don't know what I have. I don't know the difference between a rooster and a lamb, but I definitely have a Tasmanian devil. I think you have a lamb devil. (laughs) Now, did you know that three quarters of Mamma Mia parents are looking for tactics to help their children get along? Because let's face it, toddlers might be adorable, bundles of energy, but sibling dynamics can be really complicated. Jen, why is this? One of the biggest things we hope for our kids is that they will one day get along. You know, we have more than one child, I think, in the hope that that will be a friend for our older child. And so when they're not getting along, we really start to worry. What if they never get along? What if I'm somehow getting this wrong or they will never be friends? So I think it challenges that core value that we have, that they will be there for each other, maybe even one day when we're not. Mm, Interesting. And do people have more than one kid so that someone will look after them when they're old? (laughs) That's the only reason I want another one. All right. So I want to chat about this. Obviously, I've got an only child, which is interesting. We'll get to that in a moment. But what are some of the common reasons why siblings might not get along? So the first thing is how we view it. So sibling conflict, it's normal. It's an opportunity for kids to learn about power and negotiation. So for Alexander, he's going to learn that when you go into other situations and he's got other people to have conflict and negotiation with. For siblings, you've got someone in the house and part of growing up and part of learning how to get on with others is conflict with your sibling. So first of all, know that it's normal and it's an okay thing. But if you've got ongoing sibling conflicts, and many parents do struggle with this, where it's ongoing and maybe it's one child targeting another one over and over and it's so frustrating and you think, why is this happening? The first thing I always encourage parents to look at is what's happening within their relationship with their children and their child. So what I mean by that is that often kids are seeking connection. They will seek it in any form and you never get a bigger reaction than when you thump your baby brother. And it might not be good connection, but everybody is focused on you. And so we've got to remember that kids are seeking out that connection and they'll take it in any form. And so often one of the biggest things you can do to prevent a lot of sibling drama is actually focus on -on one-on-one time with Mm. both kids and making sure that they're both getting some good quality connection and then they may be less likely to seek it out through that conflict. That makes perfect sense. And are there typical age-related challenges that can contribute to sibling conflicts? You know, maybe they're really close in age. Yeah. I don't really have any idea. Look, the biggest 
challenge that I see for siblings is usually when a new baby comes into the house. There's two peak periods where this impacts the sibling relationship. So the first is the months that follow a newborn coming home. And often we just tell our older child, it's going to be amazing, you're going to be brother or sister and you're going to be mummy's best helper. And suddenly they're like, this is not necessarily positive. And everything in them is telling them, well, what does this mean for me and my relationship with my parents? So that's Mm -hmm. a really big deal for them. Further down the track and the biggest time we see conflict between siblings is usually around that time that baby starts to move. Mm. They start to touch our older child's toys and suddenly all of those instincts just kick up and things can get really complicated again then. There's no perfect answer to sibling dynamics. Some siblings that are really a big gap in age can fight because they're just really different people. And some siblings who are really close in age might fight because they're competing. There's no rhyme or reason, but it is normal and natural. But our kids do need our help in order to coach them through some of those moments so that they don't do any damage to their relationship long term. Okay. Now, what are your thoughts on birth order or age spacing between siblings? This is fascinating because my brother and sister are 10 years older and then I was a pleasant surprise. I get along with one more than the other, but they're both much older than me. So I don't know if it's age or personality. Obviously, personality plays a role, right? So that's a given. If you've got a similar sense of humour to one of your siblings, you know, that's going to bring on a better bond. But the other thing that definitely plays a role is spacing. I would say nine times out of 10, when people come to me for help with sibling dynamics, it's an older child picking on a younger child really hard for parents because I think, why is my child picking on the innocent little baby? But it's, again, looking back to our child is seeking out that connection with their parent and they're checking that everything's okay with that. So that's a really common one. But I do see examples where it's a really vibrant, strong-willed youngest child picking on older siblings. It's rarer, but it certainly happens. And it's about that personality style. Some kids are really loud and demanding, and so they will ruffle the feathers of quite a more introverted mm. children. And that's just nature. Does age spacing work in years in terms of should you wait a certain amount of years or is that older sibling still going to feel ruffled to a degree if they're two or four and a new baby comes along? Oh, I have two answers to that. So, you know, one is I just think there's so much magic in the story that we get, like whether it's one child or four boys when you so thought there might be a girl in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's not what we pictured, right? I think it's so rarely that we get the thing we maybe pictured we might have. And yet I think there's so much magic in that. And there's no perfect solution when it comes to siblings and what might work best. My eldest is seven years older than my youngest and they have this incredible relationship. They're both really loud, demanding humans and they get (laughs) on like a house on fire. Oh, that's great. What I see most commonly is often... An eldest child where a sibling follows approximately two years later, I think that is one of the most challenging times for an older child to become a sibling. I've done it twice, by the Mm. way. Mm -hmm. You'd think I'd learn. But But you're alive and that's a good answer. (laughs) So I think that while that's a very convenient spacing for a whole lot of reasons, it probably is a little bit more challenging emotionally for a toddler simply because they're still two, they're still an infant till three, they're still kind of seeking out those parents. Once a child is three and up, they have a little bit more going on in terms of their own independence in their own life and so it can make that process of becoming a sibling a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. Still hard though. Still hard (laughs) always. And again, it depends on personality. Of course. It's so individual. And speaking of individuals, are there any long-term effects on individuals when siblings don't get along during childhood? Have you seen people become best friends when they're adults or vice versa? 
Yes, absolutely. Many people will tell stories about my sister and I fought like cats and dogs and we'd get on like a house on fire now. The key thing is that parents need to know when to intervene and at what point. So I think it can be really good to have a couple of really core rules. Like what the evidence shows is that allowing long-term name calling, so even silly names like Mm. you're a dum-dum or whatever, That can impact kids long-term if we don't step in and stop name-calling. It's really important we stop violence, so Mm. any hitting or hurting, parents probably need to step in and assist that. As long as you're helping kids with those key rules, long-term you can absolutely scrap all day and turn out to be friends. If we allow violence or emotional hurtfulness to continue long-term, that's what can cause that long-term damage. So I'm a really big fan in stepping in and having some really clear rules that kids know this is where the line is and if you guys are breaking one of these rules, I will be stepping in to give you a hand. Okay. Oh, great. Can sibling relationships improve over time? And if so, what are some factors that contribute to their improvement? This is interesting. Well, I'm just assuming like when they're 25 in their frontal cortex? (laughs) Does everything happen great at 25 if you've listened to the other episodes? So I think that the way parents respond, it can make the biggest difference to siblings who are not getting along and it seems to be repetitive and kind of in a cycle that no one's enjoying. So just to give you an example, just say one of my boys hits the other child. I storm in and I say, we do not hit in this family, go to your room and come back and say when you're sorry. My child may go to their room, they may even come back and say that they're sorry, but I can set a timer for 27 minutes and I know my child is going to hit again, quite Mm. simply because what I haven't done in that situation is help them understand the emotion, the fire that led to the behaviour, the hitting, right? Mm. So absolutely going to stop them from hitting. So I'm going to fly across them and say, I'm not going to let you hit, but I can see you're really mad. And what I'm doing in that moment is I'm really uncovering that underlying emotion that caused the hit or the hurt. Mm -hmm. The emotion's okay, the behaviour is not, and that's what we're trying to teach our child. So it's about the way we respond. If we're responding repetitively, noisily, on repeat, the behaviour will happen repetitively and on repeat. And what our children learn to do is not not to hit, but not to do it around us, Mm. right? And what about children in families with no siblings like mine? For example, Alexander goes to daycare, but he's got a good friend and he often goes to their house and she's one of four. So I'm trying to foster siblingship in that way, cousins. Yeah. How can we, I guess, expose our only children to this kind of relationship and also building resilience in conflict with what is not a sibling, but a kind of a sibling type person. So one of the best ways, exactly what you're doing. So exposing Alexander to other friends that have siblings and throwing him in there. So I love neighbourhoods for fostering connection and mixed age groups of kids. Kids go really well in multi-age groups, especially when they can just have a bit of space from parents. So you might have an older child around who's able to take the kids to the park. And what happens in those situations is the older kids start to sort of teach the younger kids and they keep everyone in line and there's a bit of a pecking order, that's really, really good for kids. And in fact, even if your child is one of one or two children, not many people have four like me. So (laughs) we've just been away with a ton of girls for the weekend and because they don't have sisters. So I make sure they're exposed to lots of families that just have girls. And so they get to see all of the things they're interested in and get to do different things. And I think it's about just exposing our kids to maybe what we have less of in our own home. Okay. Now that we understand why the dynamics between siblings is so complicated, it's time to learn how we can help little siblings get along. 
Jen, how can parents help siblings navigate jealousy or rivalry towards one another? The first thing we need to understand is why kids fight. And so when we have that understanding of child development, their brains are not fully formed at the front, so they're going to have trouble sharing and they're going to fight. So that's really normal. We need to understand that they're often seeking connection from us. And so it might be a cue that we need to connect in differently with our kids. And once we understand these two things, we need to get really good at emotion coaching. And that's how we approach our children when they are fighting, the things we say and the way we talk to them. And we're doing that commentating that they need all of this will make a really big difference in their ability to start learning how to do it in ways that are more socially acceptable. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And if there's two, say you've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old, are you doing it with both of them in different ways, age-appropriate ways? Yes. Okay. So I love this idea of emotion coaching our children even before we're in strife. Let me tell you, about a million times a day, I hear the sound of my children playing. I hear the joy and the laughter. And yet as a mother, I know in about 27 seconds, someone's going to be crying. Yes. And it's because I am, as a fully grown adult, able to hear the tones of maybe someone who's excited but on the edge or someone who looks worried, even though the game is really fun. So what I try to do in these situations is I will come up near my kids and I will say something like this, hey guys, I can see you're all having a really good time, but I'm looking at Tom's face and he's looking a little bit worried or I'm noticing that Stella is looking a bit like she's not liking how close you are to her. Truth is boys struggle a little bit more than girls Mm. to read these social cues, but what I'm doing is helping them to learn the early cues of the mm. fact that someone's not enjoying things. Yep. And this is the beginning of teaching consent for little kids, but it's also how we help kids to start to get along. So at that point we pause and go, oh, like, are you okay? Do you want to play something different? We're checking in with people. We're sort of learning how to attune the game. It also gives you a chance to say to even a very young child, I can see when you sit too close to your brother when he's trying to do his train tracks that he's not liking it. How about we? And so we can start to teach them that they are impacting others. Mm. And that's one of the biggest goals of having our kids get along with each other. Yeah, clever. Instead of just waiting until the tantrums and the screams come from the other room. And look, absolutely, (laughs) it's going to happen anyway. And then it's about coaching them through that and knowing that, look, no child wants to hit or hurt their brother or their sister. No child wants to be the bad kid. Even if you have a child that's constantly going after another sibling and you think, oh my goodness, maybe they're destined for prison. I would say (laughs) you've really got to stop and say when kids get it wrong, it's because the emotional demands of the situation were more than they could handle. So they're doing the best that they can. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And talk to me about practical strategies for promoting positive interactions and minimising sibling disagreements. So the biggest thing we can do, again, it's leaning into those emotions. And I'll give you an example. Like it's so common for one child to come into a parent and say, you love my sister more than me, or he got more ice cream than me. And often they're talking about justice and fairness. But a child may say something like, or even you're a really bad mummy, you know, Mm. that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so tempting to say, here's the logic, or of course we don't love your sister more than you. We love you all the same. But actually as parents, if we can stop, and again, I'm so boring, but you have to name it to tame it. So we stop and we say, oh, you feel like we're giving your sister more attention. That must feel really tough. I hear you. Tell me more. 
When we stop and we listen to that, we don't necessarily have to do anything different, but we're allowing that to just get out. We know that it's better out than in. Mm. So I think the most practical thing we can do as parents is listen to it mm. and try to help our child to name the underlying emotion. Yeah. And even if it's not true, correcting them is not going to help them feel no. better. It's like no. the child version of calm down. Makes yep. sense. Okay. What types of play can kids be doing to form these bonds, either with their siblings or just as Alexander has, you know, sibling type figures? What type of play is good? The biggest thing you can do to help kids play well is often get them outside. So, you know, whether that's getting them up to the park or out in the backyard, you know, trampolines are fantastic for play and group play, building cubbies, playing running races, all of that stuff outside, simply because the outdoors makes us feel good and it regulates kids and kids can't climb the walls when you take the walls away, basically. So being outdoors is fantastic. I also love for siblings having toys that are really easy, like lots of train sets are great, Lego is great, magnetiles is great, blocks are great, open-ended sort of creative toys. Big tub of cars is good in our house. Big tub of cars, cars. there's enough for everyone. My kids love to draw and we have all the textures and all the paper. It is sending me crazy at the moment, but that kind of thing can make a really big difference is the toys that we're offering them because kids will fight if there's just, you know, one of anything, of course. That's human nature. So I remember one of the scenarios that broke my heart. I used to play hide and seek with my brother. He's much older. And then he became too cool to play with his little sister, but he didn't tell me. So I thought I was hiding in a really good spot for many hours and he was off playing with his friends. That brings me to play between siblings of bigger age gaps. Do we force the old kids to play with the little ones? Is it normal that they don't want to? Is there something that they can all do together? Yeah, look, I think sometimes it's about being a bit creative about the stage that they're at. We've got one of my older kids coaching one of my younger kids in basketball at the moment. And they're really enjoying doing that together. So my older son, and he's even turning up to his games and coaching him along. I've found if you get out of the way of these things, the bonds are there. And actually what's really been interesting for me to watch is that sometimes it's personality more than anything else. So my two middle children are both quite introverted and they really sort of love talking about the same topic like Pokemon. They love sort of focusing on their own topics and doing their own thing and they can get along quite well. My eldest and my youngest have a really kind of unique relationship. I really believe that getting a dog is one of the best ways to foster sibling relationships because even when nobody is talking to each other, we can all talk to the dog and the dog will do something funny and then we have that in common. So I love a dog. But the other thing is kind of building shared experiences. So that can be as simple as going on a family bushwalk and getting everyone out in nature. You're doing something really different. It can surprise you who connects. You know, of my four kids, it's surprising sort of how the older one might help the younger one climb a rock or they might all contribute to building a little fort in the middle of the bush or even holidays. You know, sometimes that provides that unique opportunity to plan something different and do it together. So I think if we give kids enough space or encourage them all to build a cubby house together, those kind of things can help siblings to get along, even if there is a bigger age gap. How can parents create a fair and inclusive environment that reduces sibling conflict and promotes harmony? So watching blame and name calling, Mm. you know, even implying that one child is the lazy child or blaming one child constantly, you're bigger, you should know better. Ah. Sometimes if we 
because it comes so much down to kids seeking connection with us, if we just make sure that we're not favouring one child over another mm. or constantly babying one child. Yeah, so saying, we, come on, you're a big boy. Yeah, so it's about watching that stuff can mm. make a difference. And can I resolve conflict between my son and his imaginary friend? <laughs> That's quite difficult. <laughs> But it happens a lot. Welcome the feelings. Yeah, welcome the feelings. Just say, wow, that sounds really tough. I mean, I try and yell at the imaginary friend, but then I get in trouble for yelling at his imaginary (laughs) friend. Okay, so welcome the feelings no matter what. Welcome the feelings. Connection. Look, I think there's unique challenges and there's unique opportunities for teaching EQ, but if we're leaning into the feelings, Leaning into the feelings. That's my T-shirt for this episode, leaning into the feelings. Jen, you're a wealth of knowledge. That brings us to the end of this episode of How to Build a Human. Join us next week when we discuss how to improve your little one's confidence. Here's a little taste. So I've got three main tips around this. So the first is praise effort over outcome. Yes. So it's really about instead of saying, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful, you're so clever, it's about stopping, noticing, you're just loving drawing, tell me more. Mm. And then kids get to tune into what it is that made them want to do that thing. We know long-term that builds that intrinsic motivation, but internally you're more confident because it can't be taken away from you. Mm. The problem with good girl is that if I'm not doing that thing that I got the praise for correctly next time, am I a bad girl? Mm. There's an inverse, right? See you next week. Bye. Bye.